Nicholas Borners of Capturing, and I would like to welcome you to the last, but definitely not the least, of the panels of our decarbonization forum. We are closing this forum by providing the point of view of various stakeholders whose participation and contribution to shipping and decarbonization is vital. So we have with us uh, ship owners, charters, financiers, investors, uh, and they are going to share with us their uh, insights on the process and their viewpoint. Uh, I would uh, like to thank everybody for joining. I will let uh, the moderator, uh, Arnstein Eckners of uh, DNV, to uh, introduce everybody. Thank you very much for the moderation and thank you very much to everybody for joining. And the floor is yours, Arnstein. Thank you very much, uh, Nicholas. And, uh, Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. Uh, it's great to have this panel, but before we start the, the panel discussion, there was one person that was also supposed to attend, which unfortunately cannot be here, and that is Mr. Jerry Kalogeratos uh, from Capital Product Partner. He is launching a bond offering in Athens today, and that's the reason why you don't see him in the panel. Um, my plan now initially is to let every panelist introduce themselves. So I will start uh, with, with me. I'm from DNV. Uh, I have a background in particular for special vessels and offshore ships where introduction of new fuels have been quite early. And I would say testing fuels and testing technology and testing solutions prior to the rest of the shipping. Uh, and that is very much where my background is to, to try to find out what is coming. How can we test it? How can we make sure that the technology that may come on shipping in larger quantities will actually work, that it will be safe, and of course, later scalable. So that's short about me, and uh, I will do my best here to moderate. I think we start with Mr. Paulo Almeida from uh, Tufton Investments. If you say a few words about yourself and your company, please. Oh, sure, thank you. Uh, Paulo Almeida, I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Tufton Investment Management. Uh, we are a leading uh, investor in the shipping industry. We manage about $1.2 billion of institutional capital and a number of funds, one listed three or so private. Uh, we own a total of 70 ships. Um, and we last year, as a part of UN Climate Week, we committed to be net zero in our portfolio by 2050 and also to investing in zero carbon capable ships before 2030. Thank you. And Mr. John uh, Lycoris. Thank you, Anstein. Hi, I'm John Lucores from Dorian LPG. We are uh, a US-based uh, LPG uh, vessel, large vessel operator, PLG Caesars, they're called. Uh, we transport uh, propane and butane uh, and other products uh, from the natural gas liquids uh, chain. We operate 20 vessels um, and we do operate a pool called the Helios Pool. Um, uh, we have uh, operations uh, in um, uh, in Denmark, in Greece, in Singapore, and uh, the head offices in Connecticut, uh, United States. So truly global operation. And then uh, over to you, Mr. Richard Sadler. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. I'm, I'm a board advisor for Purus Marine, um, so not, not on the executive team. Um, but Purus Marine is a company that's totally focused on um, decarbonized uh, decarbonization solutions in the marine economy. I mean, in the blue economy, I, I think in some ways, because they're a new company, they, they have the advantage of having no legacy assets. 
Um, so they, they're always looking for, um, so, for solutions in mainly at the moment four sectors. Um, the first being uh, the, the metropolitan uh, mass transport systems on waterways. Uh, secondly, on offshore, uh, offshore wind, uh, both on crew transfer and um, service vessels. Thirdly, on regional logistics um, container, trying to get lorries off the road and, and transporting um, low-carbon low solutions for that. Um, and then finally, with uh, gas transportation as well. Um, and they've also made a commitment that within the 2030s, um, they will be zero carbon as well. Um, and so they're only investing in technology solutions for, for, with that aim in mind. Thanks, Richard. And then uh, finally, but not least, uh, Mr. Andrea Olivi from Traffic. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. My name is Andrea Olivi. I'm the global head of wet freight here at Trafigura. Trafigura is a big commodity uh, trader. We're big users of, uh, of uh, vessels. Uh, we have fixed more than 4,100 vessels in dry and wet uh, last year. We're obviously very committed to decarbonizing our freight operations. So um, I look forward to being part of this panel. Thank you very much for inviting. Thank you, Andrea. And uh, maybe I can start shooting a question to all of you. I, I think, uh, Andrea, uh, you feel free, free to start on this one. But the subject of decarbonization, when, when looking back, um, what is different today, the way you operate today and the way you make decisions today versus a few years back in time? Uh, I mean, is this uh, is it only decarbonization or are there other issues that are really pressing uh, on your mind today when making decisions and making your operations? Well, I would say that decarbonization is probably on top of our agenda. It's definitely changed our modus operandi. The way we are investing in hardware and software has changed. Uh, the things we look for even in people when we hire talent are, are changing. Um, we, we are doing this because we want to be at the forefront of the, uh, let's call it, uh, maritime decarbonization revolution, which we think has started and we think will become more and more important in the years to come. And we want to be champions of, of, of this revolution. Um, just to give you a couple of examples, over the last 18 months, it's no secret, but we have been investing into a lot of uh, modern vessels on long-term TCs. Um, we almost on a weekly basis look uh, at retrofitting energy-saving devices on some of our owned vessels, but we also collaborate with some of our long-term TC owners to retrofit energy-saving devices on, on our long-term TCs. So we, we are spending a lot of time internally, a lot of resources also internally uh, towards, uh, towards the decarbonization. And, 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 and so I, I, I do believe that it has de definitely changed uh, the way uh, we, do, uh, we do things. Uh, I would also add that it's bringing us closer to some of our ship owners where we are collaborating a lot more with them. Uh, because um, the one, one thing about decarbonization is it's not one company that will be able to master it, but it's, it's a collaboration across many industry players that, that will, will allow us to decarbonize uh, the shipping world. Yeah, I, I heard you mention this with the long-term time charter, and then I'm thinking that this is probably also an indication that this is not, the sh this is not for the speculative market or for the spot market. This is really requiring a long-term uh, yeah. vision. Yeah. 
Paulo, uh, any comments or reflection from your side? Do you support what Andrea was saying here on, on the shift towards decarbonization in the thinking and priorities? Yeah, I, I think I think Andreas covered covered that really well. We're doing a lot of a lot of similar things, and I think it's natural because Trafficker is a very important charterer, and in in many cases a long term charterer, where an owner of vessels that primarily have them out on on long term charters with 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 good charterers across all spaces. Um, we're also um, when Andrea mentioned in terms of recruiting talent. Decarbonization is actually a key aspect of what we're looking for um, in, in um, new people as well. Um, we are uh, similarly to, to what Andrea said, actually, we're, we're doing quite a lot in energy saving devices as well. We started doing that about 18 months ago. Um, and I think by, by early next year or maybe middle of next year, given supply chain issues um, currently happening around the world, not just in shipping, we'll probably have about half of our ships fitted with those. And on average, we'll have 10 to 15% fuel savings. Um, so I think Andre is hit on, on a lot of uh, points correctly. And you mentioned collaboration as well. And I think we'll talk about collaboration probably a bit later as well. We will definitely do that. Uh, John, uh, any comments on this? Uh, is your focus the same as the, the previous uh, panelists? Uh sure uh, yes we, we we it is obvious that we are all aligning uh it is uh it's becoming more and more um uh an alignment of the uh, the financiers the investors the manufacturers the charters uh the equipment manufacturers the regulators uh to move towards decarbonization uh and uh and really I think it, it hasn't escaped anybody uh, anybody's attention that uh, we need to have a strategy. We need to go forward in um, in steps. Uh, we are not going to achieve it in one fell swoop by doing one ship or doing two ships. You cannot build efficient and carbon-free ships yet, not even designed yet. Uh, and uh, uh, this is a, a frustration of mine that we cannot really have uh, a clean, uh, uh, clean vessels yet, but it is uh, what it is. This is the way the shipping industry has evolved. Uh, uh, we should all work together. I think uh, uh, like every other company, we have a strategy uh, to go forward. We are taking a lot of uh, current uh, steps, including hydrodynamics, digitalization, logistics of our vessels. Uh, the machinery of our vessels. So we have a number of items and hydrodynamics, as I first said, uh, pre the uh, premium uh, paints, uh, how form optimization, energy saving devices, how cleaning, propeller polishing, and so on, digitalization, real-time reporting of data, dashboards for onboard and, you know, ashore uh, logistics, uh, you know, routing, speed optimization, just-in-time arrival, and the machinery fixing up the engines so they can be as efficient as possible in the current uh, environment. So, yes, we are full speed ahead on doing a lot of things because, not as I just started saying, not one thing will make us go until 2030 when we will be able to do the more important steps of alternative fuels, carbon ca capture, or uh, something else, hydrogen maybe. Yeah, a lot 
of uh, a lot of different actions and maybe a different orchestra to to manage i'm thinking uh, uh, richard you with your background also i think this must resonate quite well that there are multiple opportunities here um, are the particular opportunities you see when when purus is also investing in in the renewables industry you mentioned that you are embarking this uh, new coming offshore wind yeah, I mean, I think in all in all four sectors, there's different opportunities. I think, you know, to summarise what everyone else has said, which we would 100% agree with, you know, if we were sitting around the table, I don't know, even five years ago, we would have been looking at quality and safety, um, commercial pricing, um, and and reliability as the three main factors. And now, undoubtedly, I wouldn't just say sustainability, but I'd say ESG in general has now sort of uh, gone from being a triangle to be a square um, of and and maybe more weight on on the last rather than the others, but you know shipping shipping has always been about betting on an uncertain future, and now I don't think we're just betting on an uncertain uncertain commercial future, but we're betting on an as John said a really uncertain technolo technological um, and regulatory future as well. So incredibly different but as you say i mean whether we look at mass transport systems using fuel cells hydrogen whether we look at offshore wind and and now with the chance to you know power up batteries on on um power boys etc um where you know we, we've got great opportunities with um, fuel cells on regional um, transport and probably with carbon capture as well so i mean i think i think the other thing is there is no one solution as john said but there's there are there are leading solutions for each of the sectors that we look at. Um, and I say the advantage Purus has got is we don't have legacy, legacy ships with investment um, that we have to find retrofit solutions for as well. So um, definitely everyone, everyone has got different solutions and different opportunities. I think uh, what you say here is um, with a lot of solutions and probably not a silver bullet. It's reminding me on a story I heard from uh, from a good friend in uh, in Equinor. He was trying to explain his chartering philosophy and said that whoever I'm speaking to, it's like trying to find out what is your favorite football team. Everyone seemed to have their own favorite and everyone were extremely passionate about their own favorite. And, and everyone realizes that maybe their own favorite is not the only solution. So uh, yeah. probably... Is, is this with the, the uncertainty on the fuel selection, is this one of the key hurdles to kind of uh, move into the future for all of you? What are your thoughts about that? Uh, Feel free, John. Yeah. I, I mean, look, we are an energy transition and the transition can take any multiple paths. A lot of uh, big players have taken, you know, the uh, uh, decision to put some of their fleet in in methanol, uh, others in, uh, of course, LNG carriers are into uh, LNG engines, Maggie engines. Um, the LPG uh, fleet is going for uh, dual fuel LPG engines, LGIP engines. And now I don't know what's going to happen with the ammonia engine. I'm, you know, holding holding back on that. I'm not certain uh, what's going to happen. And then we have ethane engines. Uh, by by fuel uh, engine. So th these are all transition uh, energy fuels, uh, even ammonia. I don't see ammonia as being the, uh, I think hydrogen is probably the, 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 the best solution for us uh, in the future. It's not here yet, but it will happen at some point in the future. Uh, um, after we manage to have, uh, uh, or, or maybe electricity. I think electricity 
as, as Richard said, you know, when those fuel cells become large enough and big enough to give us enough uh, megawatts, we might be able to move ships. Mm -hmm. And finally, and not least, is um, uh, uh, nuclear energy. Yeah. There are uh, smaller, more efficient nuclear reactors that are being uh, discussed for the shipping industry and which will last the life of the ship and more. So we see a lot of opportunities in the future. Right now, we'll try to do the best with what we can, perhaps transition to a better fuel for what we do, and then eventually we'll see what we do in 2030. Hmm. What about you, uh, Andrea? Um, I mean, you are really trading, like you said, a lot of commodities. Uh, you, you depend on a large fleet being avail available globally. Um, are you afraid of kind of missing out on opportunities coming there from technology or are you, are you trying to kind of ride many horses at the same time? Look, uh, my view is we, we are traders and, and one of the main tasks of a trader is to, to make the markets more efficient. Part of making the markets more efficient is to choose the right fuels of the future. Um, I think we're quite privileged here at Trafigura because we, we're not structurally long a certain uh, fuel, um, let's say we're not structurally long LNG and we therefore may have an internal unconscious bias, let's say to favor LNG versus methanol or ammonia. We, we can look at all the different fuels um, quite objectively. We, have, we are looking constantly. Uh, at the moment, we believe that the champions of the future will be hydrogen-based fuels and in particular ammonia. But we're obviously evaluating all, all opportunities all the times. Obviously, it's becoming very interesting for us because you are suddenly starting to see very, very different vessels. Dual fuel methanol, dual fuel LPG, um, dual fuel LNG, and all these vessels have different, um, obviously, economics. And, and we, we have to, our job is to ensure that we can monitor on a daily basis all the fluctuations in, in the different economics and, uh, and, and look for the best. Uh, and Paolo, on, um, on the strategy here, what are you monitoring closely to ensure that you are not missing out on, on opportunities there on technology or, or staying in the race? Um, so we um, we do that in, in a couple of, a couple of main ways. Um, we don't have a particularly big uh, team uh, internally. There's you know 30, 35 of us or so. Um, you know clearly we have a technical team that monitors what's happening in the in the in the markets, etc. And we do so from the from the investment side. But so um, two ways. One is through organizations such as Getting to Zero and the Maris McKinney Moeller Center, both of which we're part of, where there's a good amount of um, information sharing um, and where we can meet other players in the market, um, not necessarily peers of ours in the investment space, but, but charterers, um, technology providers. And then the other thing that we do um, that we've increasingly focused on is try to have a good number of strategic dialogues with key charterers in each of the main segments of containers, um, bulkers, uh, and tankers. Uh, similarly to what Andrea said about Trafigura not being structurally structurally long, any you know particular commodity, we are um, being a, a 
financial investor uh, in shipping. Clearly, we're long ships, um, but we have a very diversified portfolio. We don't we don't do the technical management ourselves. We don't do the commercial management, other than on a very limited basis. So, what we focus on is having good dialogues uh, with, with charters, so that we can match the right type of vessel and the right type of fuel with the needs of those sort of charters. Does this uh, resonate good with you, Richard? I, I think uh, long-term strategic discussion with the charters and up the value chain, that must be kind of spot on also for the type of position that uh, Ferris is working on. Yeah, without a doubt it is, with, with a variety, you know, whether it's governments or, or uh, commercial charters, it, exactly that, or whether it's, you know, BP, if we're transporting um, gas, etc. You know, I think I think with all these conversations that we need to remind ourselves that 95% of the internet of real things is is being achieved with 2.5% of of global carbon. Um, we're, you know, as as an industry, uh, we're we're doing really well. And and I, what really interested me recently was this. I don't know if you've been seeing it, but this talk about scope four um, emissions um, and and saying, well, exactly exactly how much carbon are you saving by um, the businesses that you're in. And, and when you look at shipping and, and the very low amount of emission per goods, to say, that's transport, transported around, um, of course, we've got things that we, we will do in the future when, as John says, when things become a little bit more technology um, obvious. And, and I, I would say that the more we find out, the, the less obvious things are. Um, you talk about hydrogen, and, and then I heard recently that the problem with hydrogen is it burns at such a high temperature that all of the existing rules that we have for structural fire protection uh, would be out of the window if we have a hydrogen fire because of the intensity of the heat. So, you know, we're, we're talking we're talking first about engines, and then we're all of a sudden talking about naval architecture, um, structural fire protection. So there's a, a huge amount to go in the journey, but uh, undoubtedly, um, carbon, I, I think carbon tax as well, uh, if we had carbon tax that we all understood, um, then that would make it much clearer for the charterer to um, make a decision and, and make sure that we're all operating on, on an equal, equal footing. But, you know, if we don't have charters, we don't have a business. So undoubtedly, that's a big part of our strategy going forward. Yeah. John, on, on this one, I mean, you're transporting a lot of, uh, I, I would call wet product and um, probably also dry product, but pressurized. Um, a lot of this, the product that you're transporting today would probably be more in demand in the future if this would alternative fuels is kind of uh, picking up in different directions. Do, do you see that the market will kind of remain strong for you moving forward and that it will be strengthened by the, the present decarbonization development? Or do you see that it's uh, possible threats in that? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say the things by uh, uh, kind of going back to basics, uh, but, but eventually, I mean, whatever we produce out of the earth, uh, any of the fossil fuels uh, produces um, uh, a gas liquids, either crude oil gas liquids or natural gas liquids. And uh, mainly those gas liquids are, um, uh, th their composition varies depending on where it is and which part of the world, but about 45, 50% is LPG. And LPG is used in the petrochemical industry quite extensively 
and more recently in the last 10 years, uh, significantly more than NAFTA, which is the competitor to LPG. NAFTA was the mainstream of uh, the petrochemical industry. Uh, with the abundance of uh, shale, explore, uh, uh, shale exploration, the abundance of natural gas liquids or uh, crude oil gas liquids, um, we have ended up with LPG that, uh, uh, that now goes to uh, all the petrochemical plants. Um, it goes to uh, purpose-made uh, 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 crackers and uh, facilities that produce a number of products. So it has become more and more the mainstay of the chemical industry. Why I'm saying all this is that while natural gas is used for heating and cooking our homes, LPG is used for the whole petrochemical industry for a number and myriad of products. So in, in a way I'm saying that I do not see LPG uh, going away. Besides the fact that it burns very cleanly, it is transportable easily from you know, a little butane bottle to a gas lighter to anything, and it is very conveniently and easily used. Uh, uh, it, it, it also has these huge uh, array of products that come out of the petrochemical industry. And uh, so I see it as becoming stronger and stronger as uh, we, we use less of the LPG for fuel and we use it more for the petrochemical industry. So it's gonna become more and more important to use that um, uh, in, in, in so many uh, 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 parts of, of, of industry. So that's my opinion. Yeah, so very much like uh, more of the products will be needed or of the product that you're transporting will be needed in the production plant and the industrial part of the industry rather than being burned as a fuel. I think that's a short summary of, of, of the last yeah. part here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andrea, I mean, as, as a big, you said trader here, uh, Richard, he mentioned this with scope four. Uh, what? What about accountability on this? Are, are you seeing that you are changing your position or asking more accountability and traceability from the value chain which you are purchasing for? Or you see that there is a big change there? Or is that an well, important what, part of the transition? I mean, what, what we're noticing is that our suppliers and our receivers want, want us to help them reduce their emissions, whether they are scope one or scope three. Uh, I must confess and I apologize, I haven't heard about scope four, but I will I go and research as much as possible at the end of this, uh, at the end of this panel. Uh, uh, but but I, I also want to touch on, on, on something that was mentioned before, and it's the, the tax on CO2. I think this is absolutely vital because we need to align the incentives to decarbonize with the, let's call it profitability or profit incentives. And if we achieve that, it would be so much easier to decarbonize um, the, the industry. And, uh, and I'm very glad that, that, that you have touched on, on, on this point uh, uh, before. And, and, and another important thing I think is we need to create a legal fr framework that makes people comfortable to invest in technologies and that incentivizes people to be first movers. And again, when we see the EU ETS delaying the entrance of shipping from 2023 to now potentially 2024, I don't think these things help when it comes to decarbonizing uh, the shipping world, unfortunately. 
Paulo, I saw you nodding there, so you probably agree to the last. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's one of the key things: Cl clarity um, on on regulations uh, in general, some sort of carbon pricing, whether it be a bunker surcharge, ETS, anything like that. We need the the industry needs the economic incentives in place. I mean, we we've we've only really seen a strong commitment to um, zero carbon fuels in in other than on a very small. Um, uh, on a very small scale, the only large scale that we've seen so far really is with Maersk and backing green methanol. Uh, and that's primarily because, you know, Maersk is close to the retailers who are close to consumers who are increasingly willing to pay uh, what in effect on a consumer good is a very small premium in order to reduce the carbon footprint. This, so that, that, works at sort of the top end of the market um, in container shipping, but the, the mechanisms are not in place for that currently to incentivize investment in the bulk spaces, be it wet bulk or dry bulk, where the, the cargo is further away from the customer and where the, the cargo, uh, just as a matter of fact, it just doesn't make it good or bad, but the cargo has a lower value per weight and therefore the transport costs are much more important than for a consumer good such as a laptop or a, a pair of Nike sneakers where the, the, the cost of zero fuel would, would be an insignificant increase in terms of the landed ultimate cost of a pair of sneakers. So we, but we need, those, we need those incentives in place so we have a level playing field for all of shipping. I really like what you said. We need those incentives, uh, and then I want to to ask you, Richard, because with your background, you mentioned earlier with um, the importance of regulations and safety and so on. What we have seen recently with the Poseidon principles, with the sea cargo charter, and I know lately also with the Poseidon principles for marine insurance. Do you think that these kind of new practices and and uh, I should call best practices are they really incentivizing, or are they kind of helping to kickstart or, or increase the speed of, of the transformation which is taking place? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've been vocal in support of Poseidon principles. I've been vocal against Poseidon principles. Um, uh, you know, I, I can, but, but, but in principle, I mean, if you say in principle, uh, no, no pun intended, um, I think if everyone shows their commitment to zero or uh, zero carbon or net zero carbon, um, then the, the, the IMO is, 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 is great inertia to the industry as well as being a promoter um, of change. So you know, I, I think the, the, in this case, I, I think the commercial side is going to, um, is actually going to push us faster forward than, than the IMO personally. Um, Poseidon principles, you know, I, I really admire the fact that they were quick to the market with that and I can understand it for, for banking um, in terms of investing in ships that they need to know are going to um, give a return for as long as the loan. Um, I can sort of understand it for hull and machinery insurance. I think it's more difficult to justify with, um, uh, with P&I insurance, to be quite honest, where they're mutuals. Um, and I'm not quite sure what would happen uh, with the portfolio, the carbon portfolio measurement system um, for those. Uh, it, to me, to me, there's um, 
a, a dislocation in the idea for, for the marine insurance. And I think the one thing that the ship owner is struggling with is duplication and bureaucracy. Um, and what, what I don't want to find with, the, uh, with, with extending these things is that the ship owner is, you know, employing two, three, four, five people, depending on the size of the ship, um, merely to report the same, um, the same carbon portfolio measurements um, requirements for, for no real benefit. Um, so, so that that would be my point. Yeah, yes, great. Everyone does it. Great. Everyone takes a note of it. Um, I, I think I'm more in favour of taxation um, at a at a global level than I am at you know at, at at the other levels. But the charter is taking note of it and encouraging people to be, as Andrea says, first movers. Um, that that's really important. Um, but there has to it has to be a level playing field for everybody. Yeah, John, did you subscribe to that? It has to be a level playing field. I mean, we are talking about really the, the, the difference between the global regulation versus commercial pressure, which always will be there and always will change, and, and which lately have changed towards more of the, the more power towards the consumers and maybe organizations and stakeholders who did not use to have that power in the, in, in the past. True, true, it, it has. And uh, th th there has been uh, an alignment of uh, the various sectors, as I started saying uh, early on in this discussion uh, on decarbonization. Um, the, the idea of the polluter pace is, is a strong one. I think a lot of people will subscribe to that and will agree to that. This is a, a brand new concept that uh, I think in, in the face of, of, of decarbonization uh, is, <laughs> Is is very very a strong a very strong argument that the polluters should pay whether it is the charter or whether it is the, the port or whether it's the industry or whether it's the ship it, they have to pay. However, also uh, uh, the regulatory the regulatory uh, people have to realize that it's not CO two only. We are talking about a global warming potential, and methane is thirty times worse than carbon dioxide. And, uh, you know, we haven't done anything yet on that. And then nitrous oxide has a global warming potential 300 times worse than carbon dioxide. So we should also mandate about things like that. I mean, okay, we are talking about CO2. We will get the CO2, I'm sure, uh, quite efficiently as we are getting there, I think, by making our ships uh, performing better, by using better fuels, and by treating our emissions, whether it is uh, you know with carbon capture or something like that. However, we should make sure that methane, nitrous oxides, and other matters are also reduced to zero. Mm. And I don't hear any discussion about that. Polo, any comments? Um. I, I guess I agree with with uh, with John on probably not enough being done um, on on nitrous oxides. Um, I think that there is more of a recognition on 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 methane, however, um, not necessarily from slip from engines, but in, at least in terms of leakage um, in the in the systems from more from production and midstream. Um, but I think that's that's that that is absolutely right, and I guess that and, and um, it's not the key um, hurdle for ammonia 
becoming a fuel, at least um, in a in an internal combustion engine, as opposed to in a fuel cell, where I don't think in a fuel cell nitrous oxides are produced. But that's this will this will be a key hurdle to um, to ammonia before it becomes a mainstream fuel uh, via fuel cells, a carrier of hydrogen, um, for it being um, a, an important fuel in the meantime, um, being yeah. used in, in ammonia-capable uh, traditional diesel engines. Agreed. Yeah, uh, Andrea, also, on, are you following a particular strategy when you are selecting your long-time charge? You mentioned this with the... Uh, with uh, placing a bet and really trying to have long-term charter where you, you are aiming for something which is different and something positive. Is for a particular strategy you follow, what do you take first versus what is the, the longer-term uh, decisions? I would say at the moment, we are really focusing on the most modern vessels and uh, vessels which are technically managed by owners with whom we can collaborate around decarbonization. This is very, very important. We are noticing that we are we're doing more and more with a selected pool of ship owners that are also investing resources in towards the maritime decarbonization. Um, this, uh, this is, uh, I think, the, the most important feature of how we um, select our thesis. Uh, Paolo, going back to you, do you see a change in expectations from Charter here that they are really keen to have these long-term discussions about uh, alternative fuels and about their own uh, accountability to put it that way. I mean, showing what you are causing of emissions. Um, I think that the leaders in the different key segments of shipping are are there increasingly to um, to charter in longer term. Right? There's a, there is an economic incentive um, for them to do so. I mean, of, of course, it, it did start with container shipping again because it's closer it's closer to the consumer. Um, but we see definitely as a trend, and it's probably started over the past couple of years, um, that the, the, the charter world um, recognizes that ships with lower carbon footprints um, probably are more suited to longer term charters. And we, as an investment manager, are looking to match those long term charters um, with counterparties that are seeking lower carbon footprints and, and eventually close to zero carbon footprints with the capital that we have, which is institutional capital of primarily pension funds who are some of the first movers in terms of backing other industries to decarbonize. They've been some of the biggest investors in renewable energy. Um, they've started in, in investing in, in um, other parts of the, of the fuel and electrification and charging um, uh, infrastructure. And they also increasingly see that shipping is moving towards this, uh, at least, at, again, at the top end of shipping, um, is moving towards longer term charters that are necessary to make the investments in these sort of vessels viable. And that very much suits pension funds who are looking for longer term visible cash flows that want to be invested in assets that perform well in times of high inflation, which ships tend to do, that perform well, sorry, perform even better in an environment of high fuel prices and or carbon taxes, because that's something that pension funds are very concerned about because the pensioners, one of, the pen, one of their uh, pension beneficiaries 
key cost items if you're a retired person is your electricity and your heating bills, et cetera. So they want investments that actually pay off well in environments where they need to be paying out more to their pensioners to pay for their, for their bills. And you take that together with the fact that shipping is an industry that is, it is hard to abate. You, I don't, there aren't many people who, who think that you can electrify um, much of shipping other than short C. Um, it makes it even more important for, sorry, it makes it even more attractive for pension funds to help and to, to, to help initiate decarbonization of an industry that historically, although we talked about the fact that it moves 90% of world trade with two and a half or 3% of CO2, we do have to recognize that the industry doesn't have a, um, a great um, reputation with a lot of the world. Um, and shipping needs to move forward in decarbonization. Yeah, it's it's very interesting reflection. I mean, putting it in the in the bigger context here. And I, I also like what John said earlier about the, the fact that the challenge is actually probably not to decarbonize, but to tackle the, the global warming. And that there are many substances here that are playing a role in, in this. Richard, any comments or reflection from your side on this? I, I, I was just listening to I, I was listening to to both Andrea and, and Paolo and sort of recognizing, you know, thinking about John's well sitting in Piraeus, seven hundred and fifty ship owners are suddenly sitting in in in, in Greece, um, and it would be a shame perhaps if if we end up with the smaller ship owners who can't invest in the same way um, on technologies, um, and we end up the fact that this is just going to be a much bigger, a much sort of bigger number of corporates, and yet a lot smaller number of ship owners um, as a consequence of uh, decarbonisation or global warming, whichever way you want to put it. So maybe, maybe it was something I'd never thought of before: is is this going to force a fundamental shift in the owning structure of um, of shipping, which perhaps will be a, a you know an unforeseen uh, result of decarbonisation? Yeah, good reflections there. I I can notice that we are we are actually close to to the part where we need to to sum up uh, because we have a timeline here before Nicholas is coming back on. So I think what I will do now is to challenge each one of you to come with a try to stay within a thirty second uh, summary on what is your key takeaways on the subject of, of decarbonization and the subject of transforming our industry? What is the key takeaway that you, you want people to, to focus on or that is on the top of your brain now? Uh, and if I may start with uh, with John on this one and then uh, Paul was the next one. All right, uh, thank you. Um, we should be all aligned towards decarbonization. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we should all try to do small steps. Uh, uh, Richard, uh, we will do it in small steps with small uh, uh, low bearing fruit in the beginning. And then as in technology advances, we will be able to do more things. So the small ship owner will be able to cope with that because mm -hmm. if they start doing logistics, digitalization, hydrodynamics and machinery, which are low bearing fruit and can happen easily and cheaply, then we can go on to uh, 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 carbon capture, which is a type of a scrubber. We did scrubbers a few years back. 
just like that. Many people did it. Many ships did it. I think it will become a technology that is available to many people and to many ships. And, uh, you know, maybe the dual fuels, et cetera. Yes, you, we can, you can build uh, new ships with new technologies and new, new fuels, but I'd like to see more electrification in ships, more fuel cells in ships. I'd like to see, you know, a lot of things that uh, need to be seen and help with the future of, of shipping. So that's where I leave it. Uh, yeah, Paulo and then next, uh, Richard. I don't disagree with anything uh, anything John said. I do think it's going to be possible for uh, small ship owners to, to to participate, but we need to invest in the next 10 to 15 years, something like a trillion dollars to change the vast majority of the fleet. Um, and as I was mentioning earlier, I think that this moves us towards larger, more financially oriented um, uh, investment houses or, or, or ship owners, probably more private than public um than uh than in the past but also also larger and that matching up the right type of capital for that for the right risk structures is very important and that's where we as tufton are going to play a very key part thanks then richard and before andrea yeah i mean okay just to be really quick i i think this is one problem multiple solutions as john says we will all be on a different trajectory in terms of speed of implementation and I think like SDG 17 asked us to do, uh, we've got to be really um, open uh, with, with the whole industry on our experiences of trying the new solutions and therefore the whole industry will benefit from first movers, middle movers, et cetera, um, as, we, as we walk into the unknown in the next 10 to 15 years. And Andrea? Um, I would finish uh, saying that decarbonization is an ultra marathon and not a sprint but it's uh, very important that we don't stop. And uh, at the moment, you know, you have an energy crisis uh, going on, which uh, it's, it's, it's very important that it does not stop um, the, the path towards uh, decarbonization. Um, I think that is one of the most important things. And then in addition to this, we need re regulatory bodies, in particular the IMO, to give us the tools that we need in order to progress when it comes to decarbonizing the shipping world. Thank you very much. And uh, to summarize then from on my behalf, uh, I like what you said, Andrea, that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And it's important to keep moving. And it's important to keep moving maybe with large, with small incremental steps in, in new directions first. Uh, I also heard the word alignment. There are so many stakeholders that can and should align for this to happen because this is like a big orchestra changing the music pretty fast uh, and that cannot really be done in a good sense unless it's being orchestrated so so it's requiring more dialogue between stakeholders maybe more transparency i think this key strategy that uh, that i'm focusing for the moment is on in order to decarbonize which i hope that we all agree is important uh, using digital tools using available software but also creating a new level of trust and accountability between the stakeholders that is uh, that is among the key items where we need to have focus so um, thank you very much dear panelists all of you for for joining in this uh, in this session and then back to the organizer thank you Anthony. thank you very thank much you. thank you thank you thank you